I've always wanted the votes ever since I was like, I don't know, like probably 15 or 16, because I know it actually influences the change in the world, and I like to actually see some change happen. Denzel Harris is 18 years old. He lives in Miami, Florida, and this year, he was going to help make that change happen himself. I was going to try to vote in the election, and I started really thinking about how it could affect me and my family and people I hold close and dear to. So he did some research on the parties and the candidates. And as protests erupted across the country against police shootings of Black Americans, like himself, Denzel watched how President Donald Trump reacted. It's disgusting. And it's like, this is, what, this, this is what we want as a president? It's not what he wants. Biden would be my vote choice if I had, if I actually had a chance to vote. Voting in the United States isn't always easy. And doing it for the first time, like doing anything for the first time, can be especially hard. So who were the first-time voters this election? What issues are bringing them to the polls? And will they be able to surmount the challenges ahead of them in trying to pick the next president of the United States? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. See, Denzel tried to vote. But in Florida, where he lives, in order to vote for the first time, you need to register by October 6th. That was a couple of weeks ago. So I set up the meeting, I find out, okay, how to register. This was months ago. To get my ID and everything, and then pandemic happening, so I rescheduled. He couldn't get a ride, he had to reschedule again, and he also didn't have money. He's a student finishing high school and taking college classes at the same time. He was hoping his mom could help him out in paying for the ID. It's usually around $30. So the appointment set. And the day before, my mom tells me, oh, she doesn't have the money. I can't vote because you need your ID to register to vote. And that's it. Denzel won't be able to vote in this election. It turns out he's not alone. We definitely hear about people who can't afford a car and so they don't have a driver's license, do not fly on airplanes, and so they don't have passports. That's Kristen Clark, and she's got some experience with this kind of thing. I'm the president and executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. Their tagline is Securing Justice for All, which means making sure everyone who is legally able to vote can vote. And for first-time voters, she acknowledges sometimes it can be hard. Too hard. Getting access to ID can be a pain, especially if you don't have the underlying documents like your birth certificate. I have ID, but if I needed to apply for ID, I've lost track of where my birth certificate is. I'd have to track down the process through a hospital in Brooklyn and figure out how much that costs, how long it would take. And it's a reminder about just the unnecessary hurdles that we throw up for people who want to vote in our country and a reminder about why we stand so low on the scale when you compare our democracy to other modern democracies across the globe that just have more streamlined rules 
and, and ultimately higher rates of participation and turnout. And one of the things Kristen's team of lawyers do to help get people out to vote is answer the phone. Thank you for calling the Election Protection Hotline. There are volunteers who speak Spanish, Arabic, Mandarin, Cantonese, Vietnamese, and Tagalog, amongst other languages. All with one goal. Call 866-OUR-VOTE to find information on where to vote and facts on your right to vote. So tell me about 866-OUR-VOTE. So 866-OUR-VOTE anchors our election protection program. Thank you for calling election protection. This is John. John Bennett is one of the volunteers. Okay, so we're looking for ballot information for Georgia. He's done this before usually in a conference room with donuts and a phone bank. But this year, because of the pandemic, he's at home. West Virginia. Let me look up the laws in your state. This year, we currently have 21,000 legal volunteers who are trained. If 21,000 volunteers sounds like a lot, it is. We've actually quadrupled the number of legal volunteers that support the hotline to answer questions that voters and would-be voters are having across the country about virtually anything when it comes to voting. One of John's callers was asking about assistance at the polling place. If you need any help, you know, reading the ballot or otherwise, uh, you can have a person of your choice other than your employer, somebody who works for you. This is a hotline that has been up and running for almost two decades. That's a long time. How did this first get started? NBC News is now taking Florida out of Vice President Gore's column and putting it back in the too-close-to-call column. After Bush v. Gore in 2000... Hanging and dimpled chads, confusing instructions to voters, the now notorious butterfly ballot. There was a strong sense that we needed to create a non partisan space where people could bring forth complaints about voting, complaints about the process. And what we've found is that there's been a consistent need for reliable, trustworthy, nonpartisan support when it comes to voting in our country. Do you get a lot of first-time voters? Yes, a lot of questions from first-timers, for sure. A lot of people who have been wondering, how do I get registered during the pandemic? Students who are displaced uh, from their campuses. There are all kinds of first-time voters. Those who recently turned 18, new U.S. citizens, former felons in Florida can vote now for the first time. There are voters who have voted Democrat and are now voting Republican, Republicans who are voting for a Democrat, and people that just haven't, for whatever reason, voted until now. But let's stick with young voters for a minute. A lot of things have changed for them this election. Typically, you would see big voter turnout efforts on campuses. That's Andy Ayoki, a professor of sociology at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You're still going to see some, but a lot of students aren't there. And so that's going to make some difference. They aren't there because of the pandemic. And young voters aren't typically the most active to start with, which is why there have been a lot of get-out-the-vote efforts, ads with rappers, pop stars, celebrities aimed at them, 
like this one with Broad City's Ilana Glazer. For the first time in American history, Gen Z and millennials make up the biggest voting bloc. We've got this. We are the new adults. We are powerful. We need to vote Joe Biden in. It's complex. I'm not stoked, but I am down. We got to vote for him. And Professor Aoki says a lot of young people are expected to vote. Drop it in the box. There's evidence that they are more engaged. I'm finally old enough to vote, and I'm not going to miss it. Let's make some good trouble. But we also have to keep that in perspective. It's really about vote share. Young people may turn out more. Drop it like it's hot. Vote. But other people may turn out more, too. And so the question is, what share of the vote are they going to be? Because they clearly favor Biden by a substantial margin. But if their share doesn't change, then it's not going to make a big difference overall. So is the young people's vote better for Biden? Yes. I am Aiden Busing. Aiden is one of those young voters. So I will vote for Joe Biden in the election in November. Trump is not a good person. He's a terrible president. He's done terrible things to many people here. He's not handled the coronavirus well or anything for that matter. So it's important to get him out of office. Aiden is motivated. And in Minnesota, the political situation is heated after the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis and the protests that followed. Aiden helped organize virtual political events after those demonstrations. We've had a lot more people do virtual events with us after the protests have happened. And so that's been nice to see more people be active and out there. There are certainly ones that lean towards Trump. I don't socialize with many of them, but I know there are out there. Donovan Allen is one of them. He says the protests in Minnesota made him sad. I was sad for the state of Minnesota. And the protests also made him even more likely to vote for Trump. He needs to change this place around. And he's been held back a lot. But through all that, he's overcome. And he's done a lot of great things. He's the greatest president ever. I will be voting on October 19th, 2020 for early voting. Back in Florida, Joseph Kim also plans to vote for Trump. Particularly based on his foreign policy, Donald Trump has made it clear that the United States isn't tolerating anything that would stand against what they would want. And based on helping my stock portfolio grow prior to the recession, and also giving me much more confidence to invest in the market. And of course, there are other young voters. Here are just a few from Arizona, Tennessee, and California on why they're compelled to vote. My name is Shania Fostier. I'm 21 years old, and I voted for the first time in this election because I feel it's my duty as a young person to help build a better future. I'm proudly voting for Joe Biden for president. My name is Jackson Carter, and I turned 18 in October of this year. This November, I'll be casting my first ever ballot. I couldn't be more excited to be able to vote in this election because I feel that this is the most important election in the history of our country, and most certainly of our lifetimes. This November, when I go to the ballot box, I'll be casting a vote for President Donald Trump. I'm Anthony Avila. I'm 20 years old, and this is my first time voting in a presidential general election. I'm going to be voting for Joe Biden. I think that on every issue, he is unequivocally better to handle the problems of this country. 
I'll be voting in person very early to prevent, you know, walking into a room that has been passed through by many, many people, some who may be positive with COVID-19. I think we all have to remain calm. I know we've seen recently we've had some horrendous things happen in the country that have led to a large amount of unrest. And I think that, unfortunately, we may see more of the same in November. I hope and pray we don't, and I'm urging anybody listening to this, please keep your cool and ride out the storm until we know for sure who has won the White House. I decided to vote early this year because I felt nervous about the potential violence or issues that can ensue on Election Day at polls. There is clearly a lot of anxiety this election. And I was curious if this nervousness was something Kristen, back at 866-hour vote, was hearing from voters as well. So, generally speaking, what are some of the biggest worries you're hearing about the way things are going and what potentially is going wrong for people? We get calls from every corner of the country. Just recently, we got swamped with calls from people in Virginia on the eve of the deadline and the state's online registration system collapsed. So uh, those voters were scrambling and trying to figure out what to do. We ended up suing and we secured a 48-hour extension that no doubt will allow thousands of people across the state to get registered who otherwise would have been locked out. We've filed over two dozen cases since the pandemic. And most of our cases have been about lifting the barriers and restrictions that voters face that are unfair and unlawful. So, yes, the concerns our first-time voters had, she's hearing those too. People are calling us and saying, hey, is vote by mail truly a safe and secure way of voting this season? Lots of calls from people who are experiencing long lines during early voting. We tend to get calls from communities targeted by voter suppression efforts. Lots of calls from black and brown voters in states like Georgia, Texas, and North Carolina. Each of these states have had problems with voters who should be registered not being able to vote. But really, any voter or would-be voter across the country can contact the hotline. The only kinds of questions that we don't tackle are telling people how to vote. We equip people with all the information so that they can make that decision themselves. Recently, there was a report out in Florida that 36,000 new immigrants won't be naturalized in time to vote. The federal agency in charge of naturalizing new citizens is being hit with budget shortfalls, paralyzing backlogs, and possible furloughs. With less than three months before the presidential election, hundreds of thousands of immigrants are watching their dream of casting a ballot this year slip away. Is that something that you typically get calls about? Yeah, it's unfortunate because one of the things we've seen during the pandemic is that naturalization ceremonies have slowed down. These are people who have qualified all of the extensive criteria needed to become a citizen. And this is just kind of the, that final step, that oath ceremony. And because a lot of those ceremonies have been stalled, sadly, there are many people who may not be able to register in time to participate in 2020. It's just another reminder about the fallout from this pandemic. My name is Paulina Tapia Lee. 
I am an immigrant from Mexico City. My family and I migrated here in the early 90s. And I became a U.S. citizen on October 6, 2020, which is three days before the deadline to register to vote in New York City passed. So I feel very lucky. And this is my first time voting. Paulina has some friends who weren't as lucky. I do have other immigrant friends, some Canadian, some also Latin, and some that wish that they could vote. Because of the pandemic, a lot of the process to become a citizen paused. Mine was extended an additional six months, so a lot of them are just feeling bummed out that they're not participating this year. But those of us that were able to actually go through the citizenship ceremony, as far as I know, we're all voting for Biden. And she has very specific reasons. I just can't stomach voting for a man who calls Mexicans, Mexican immigrants, drug dealers, criminals, and rapists. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. It's a horrible, horrible way to categorize a group of people. And, you know, with over 12 million Mexican immigrants in the United States, there are small business owners like myself. And we really do define the American dream every day. Like the others we heard from, she's still anxious about the election overall. But for her, at least, the voting part of this election process has gone well so far. Um, A few days ago, I sat down on my kitchen counter with my ballot and officially cast my vote as an American citizen for Joe Biden. It was a momentous moment, even though it was just my husband and I. (laughs) But part of our voting plan is when New York City early voting opens to physically drop off our ballots there. And I selfishly really want to do that because I feel like I need that I voted sticker. It's a big moment, and that's kind of my way to celebrate it, to get that sticker. Since 2000, the number of immigrant voters doubled in the U.S. to over 23 million. That's one in 10 eligible voters. It's a lot of very different people with very different opinions. And if you go to Twitter or any social media platform, you'll see the hashtag immigrant for Trump but they are a little hard to track down and talk to. Out of the dozens of newly naturalized citizens we reached out to, the two who got back to us were voting for Biden. My name is Nellie Narcissian. I'm 39 years old, and I'm a first-time voter because I'm an immigrant. I only moved to this country 12 years ago, and I became a citizen in 2019, so this is my first presidential election. Nelly came to the U.S. from Russia. I think most younger Russians, like myself, vote for Democrats generally, uh, but the older generation tends to have more conservative views. The issues she cares about are racial equality, women's rights, human rights, and immigration. It is particularly important for immigrants to go out there and vote to protect their rights. There is another group of first-time voters this year. Former felons. More than 6 million Americans convicted of a felony had lost their right to vote. But recently, several states, Florida, New York, Nevada, have rolled back those laws. 
Mike Tyson is just one of Nevada's new voters. And there are 1.4 million potential voters from that group in Florida, which has caused some controversy. See, Florida is divided almost in half politically. It's crucial to any presidential win. And just a few months ago, lawmakers there added a new obstacle, forcing former felons to pay any pending fine or fee to the state. Last week, the Republican governor, Ron DeSantis, signed a bill that set conditions, new conditions on that amendment, which was not in the referendum. The fees can range from hundreds to hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars. And it's not always easy to find out how much is owed. Civil rights groups are suing the state, arguing the new requirement amounts to a poll tax, which is illegal. Opponents say that change was politically motivated. Former Democratic presidential candidate and three-term New York City mayor Michael Bloomberg donated $16 million to help people in Florida pay those fees and vote. Now, formerly incarcerated New Yorkers are also having problems trying to regain their voting rights. My name is Dwayne Comer. I'm from Syracuse, New York. In January of 1996, I was convicted in the Northern District of New York for uh, being involved in a continuing criminal enterprise. I received a life sentence plus 40 plus 40 plus 40 plus 20. And subsequently, President Obama pardoned me. Now, Dwayne is voting for the first time. As a first-time voter, this is very important to me and for the incarcerated people who I was with. So important that he's also been reaching out to other formerly incarcerated people, trying to tell them to vote and how to vote. The reason why it's so important for me is because while I was incarcerated, we all used to hope for different presidents to get in so they can change the crack law. And that what gave a lot of us, including me, the life sentence. We used to all get together during voting time and just watch the voting, just hoping one day we'll be able to have that opportunity to be heard. In 2018, Andrew Cuomo passed a law that allows individuals to vote. It basically allows the formerly convicted to be pardoned. 60,000 New Yorkers had their voting rights restored, but not many have registered. And about 10,000 of those granted the right back lost it again because of parole violations. When you coming from that atmosphere and you coming out here and then you have a bunch of parole officers, probation officers out wanting you to do a lot of things like go over here, go over there. It's a lot of trauma. But Dwayne says it feels good to be voting. I feel really good about Joe Biden. I know at the same time it seems a little dangerous the way that Trump is acting or his people is going. But I just feel good. I just see everybody getting up and doing it because they're just tired. And I just feel that energy, whether they come in and vote or whether they send in ballots. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's, it's definitely going to be a good one this year. There is one other group that could be considered part of the first-time voter camp those who are crossing Democrat or Republican party lines. Our producer got in touch with one person behind the Instagram handle, first-time Trump voter. He asked for our questions, said they sounded reasonable, but 
never followed up. Lifelong Democrats voting for Trump weren't easy to find. It was a lot easier to find Republicans who were stepping away from their party. Hi, my name is Philip Berry. I'm currently 59 years old, soon to be 60. I have voted Republican in every presidential election since Ronald Reagan in 1980, which was the first one I was of age to vote in. I've been a Republican my entire life. I believed in the Republican Party for being fiscally conservative, for being small government. And at the time, they were more of an inclusive party, a party that was willing to give people a leg up. Philip says when he looks at the Republican Party now, it's different. It's not really the Republican Party anymore. It is a party that I don't recognize. It is filled with vitriol and hate, racism. It doesn't stand for anything. And that's what's really, really turned me off. So he made a change. This year, I'm voting Democrat for the first time in my life, actually, for president, for Joe Biden. And I feel actually really good about it. The issues that I'm most concerned with is health care. And so as I get older, I've run into some health issues that I'm looking at some significant cost over time. So those are the things that I'm most interested in now. I dropped it off at a ballot drop-off over a week ago, and it's being processed. So I'm excited. I'm excited for a Biden win. But will there be a President Joe Biden, or will it be another round of President Trump? We asked Kristen back at the voting hotline how she thinks this election will go. We are prepared for anything and everything at this point. And she means it. We're seeing escalating levels of racial violence and open white supremacist activity. We're thinking about Some of these calls for aggressive poll watchers uh, are reason to be vigilant. And we're also bracing for potential challenges by those who seek to suppress the vote after the election. And there may very well be, you know, nefarious attempts to reject ballots based on things like alleged signature mismatch or somebody put two digits of their birth year and not four digits. We've seen some of that in the past and could see just a lot more of it this season. So we're bracing for anything, anything uh, that might transpire after November 3rd. We're really encouraging the public to just be patient this season. And with a little bit more than a week to go, that's good advice for us all. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters and Dina Kisve, with Oni Wohacha, Alexander Locke, Priyanka Tilvey, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We want to send a special thanks out to John Hendren and Jim Hoffman. We'll be back. <laughs> 